Welcome to the Cowboys of the Osage podcast brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum right here in Pawhuska, Oklahoma. Good to have you along with us. And no, this is not old Cody tonight. This is old Charlie sitting in here along with my co-host Jimbo Snively, rodeo historian and a good friend and a good friend of our guest today. How are you doing today, Jimbo? Oh, Charlie, just another great day in Osage, man. Well, tell and, us about our guest. This is more than special tonight. Yeah, you know, Charlie, uh, people have been watching these podcasts for quite a while and and some of them might not know cody or his background you know and and uh, he comes from a long line of cowboys and and nobody's got more of a western heritage background than cody on both sides of his family you know and and uh, his dad was a great roper his grandfathers on both sides were horse traders and 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 worked in the horse business and uh and like I say, his, his dad was a great roper, and he was a, a accomplished roper himself. And and uh, we're just going to try to tell people a little bit about, about him, you know, because a lot of people, I've had people ask me, what's old Cody like, you know, and stuff. And so we're going to tell them all about him today. Well, I'm, I'm just honored to be here. And I, and I will say this, I consider him a very good friend, and I'm very proud to be his friend. But last week I was listening to a podcast and I thank the Lord put this on my heart because he said, we need to do this tonight. We need, or today, we need to get Cody down, let people know more about him and who he is. So I called Cody. I said, Cody, I've got an idea and you're not going to like it. And he said, what is that? I said, we're going to do a podcast. I'm going to host it with Jimbo and you're going to be the guest. He said, no, I don't like it, but whatever you want to do. <laughs> I was real excited until they told me the guest part. Right. You're right, right. <laughs> So we're going to start back. Uh, Jimbo already talked about it, but you have such a heritage in the Western way of life, rodeo, the horse business, all tying in with ties one way or other to the ranch life. So I want to visit a little bit about your your heritage back there, especially you had granddads on both sides that were in the horse business. I guess we could call them horse dealers or horse traders. It depends on what part of the country you're from. Yeah, I would consider them horse traders for sure, Charlie. <laughs> uh, yeah, my great-granddad, I, I never met him, but I've always heard a lot of stories about him, and, um, and I've always heard he was a, a, a big horse trader in his day. So, and I brought you a little article that I just got in the mail the other day from my folks that, that you know, validated some of those points that I was told all my life anyway. Absolutely. In fact, that article, I had no idea that, that back in the days that there was that many horses handled where you'd go to and sail and buy 100 or 200 horses at, at one horse sale or ship carloads of horses to but i did sell him a horse one day back in the 60s at the woodward horse sale back they run it from the 20s 
up through the 70s or 80s every the uh, once a month out there so and he was always there being from elk city oklahoma yeah it always amazed me how he got around back in those days because i don't know because you know isn't it, it was in the early days and he was headed to clovis <clears throat> new mexico to the horse sale one day and then he was backtracking right back to fort smith arkansas to the sale and you know it, I, it always wondered how how they did how they made all those miles you know back then they was tough and they didn't sleep a lot <laughs> and no they they had they had to be and one time uh, i had a few years ago i had the honor of visiting with cowboy legend boots o'neill and he told me he was at the uh, matador then and your granddad had come down there and buy broke horses or old horses or reject horses but he he talked about dealing with your granddad down there and this was many decades ago yeah, he actually worked with my other granddad, my dad's dad, there at the Matador ranches. They were both employed there at the same time. So they crossed paths back then. Yes, sir, and they're old friends. Uh, wow. Right up until the day my granddad died. They, they they worked there. In fact, my granddad had one of the only known chuck wagons from the Matador ranch. It, it was his own personal chuck wagon until he sold it a few years ago before his death. Well, wow! See, that's that's so interesting to me because I didn't know those ties. You go back that many generations, goes right back into the legendary ranching business, mm -hmm. and and so it would. You're just born and bred to have this love for the Western lifestyle. Oh, for sure. I don't know any other lifestyle, Charlie. That, that's for that, sure. That's that's <laughs> absolutely right. Well, then your mom's dad was also in the horse business. Yeah, he was a big horse trader also, and. Uh, for most of his life, he bought and sold many a head of horses all over the country. Um, now, you knew him. I knew him well. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. I knew you I, did. I traveled with him all over the country. In fact, one time we went on a run of horse sales up through the through the Dakotas, and he had a, a guy, an Amish boy, hired to drive us up there, and he had never driven before. He was on uh, some sort of holiday the Amish can take before they make their final commitment to the uh, Amish hood. I'm not sure what right. it is. I grew up around them, but I, I don't know everything about their religion. So <laughs> we all took up off to South Dakota. And uh, it sounds crazy, but, you know, he was playing cards with Casey Tibbs, you know, at a horse sale there. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It's one of my greatest memories. He And uh, when he wasn't horse trading, he was actually a, a gambler by trade. That's how he made his living. So he never... He never answered to another man a uh, day in his life, besides besides maybe a lawman or two. <laughs> I want to hear a little bit more about an untrained Amish driver. How'd that work out for you? <laughs> he wanted to kill me by the time we got home. He went he went straight back to the Amish after riding around with us for a few weeks. How old would you have been at that time? I don't know. Maybe 10 or 12, Charlie. Seems about that age. Um, I, I vividly remember <laughs> we stopped by uh, a western store about 7.30 in the morning and uh, he knocked on the back door and the guy that owned the western store owed him some money from a gambling debt of some sort and I walked out of there with a brand new pair of uh, red Roy Cooper <laughs> roper boots and a silver belly hat that day Wow! I bet you is a happy little camper oh yeah one time, Charlie, this one time I was wanting a go kart. Listen to this, Jimbo. I was wanting a go kart one time. So he knew a go kart 
dealer over in Wichita, Kansas that played cards. So he went over there and he gambled with this guy until he won me a go-kart right there. And <laughs> we loaded the go-kart up in the back of the truck and headed home with it. What kind of cards did they play? Do you know the game? Uh, probably Pinochle or Pitch right then. Um, they didn't play they didn't play poker during the day it didn't seem like it. Yeah. If they played during the day it was uh, generally dominoes which yeah. actually he was <laughs> this does sound crazy reciting some of it right now but he was named the world champion domino player four or five times in Andalusia, Alabama at the world champion domino tournament. He's won the doubles there, he's won the singles there, he's won everything there and he's won second there numerous times but he said that him and the guy it came down to, they decided to split the pot, and you know, it didn't matter to him who won or lost at that point. So, right. but I actually have one of the trophies over there from the Andalusia, Alabama World Champion Domino Tournament that he played in. Wow! And actually, at one time, I don't know, it was like 15, 20 years ago, at least 20 years ago, that uh, a professional domino association popped up. And they, a team, a guy recruited him to be in the association. It's kind of, they ran it sort of like the poker association. I think it was on uh, Prime, Prime Sports, one of the many sports channels out there. And, uh, you know, he played against Samuel L. Jackson in some of those deals and Willie Nelson. But he had already played against Willie Nelson in his early days, you know, because he was a notorious gambler and, how long ago was this? What time frame were we talking about? Pretty well his whole life. Yeah. I mean, when he was playing with those guys. Just oh, 60s, yeah, 70s. 60s and 70s. Yes, sir. 80s. Yeah. And you 90s. Touch, and you touch on... 2000s. <laughs> you touch on the cards. That's something I don't believe that the average rodeo watcher realizes, in the, especially in the older days, I don't know about today, how much pitch was played on the road between these guys and and arm wrestling too that was the, not a, another byproduct they're on their phones now probably yeah, yeah. but yeah you're right pitch was the game of choice for cowboys yeah it was great i love a good five point yeah pull haul pitch you know uh cut high, neck. high low two jacks in the game quarter yeah. game quarter hickey yeah know. We called them a spur route after a while because we made the, the hickeys look like a spur route on a piece oh, of paper. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah we played, uh, well, about the time we left the driveway rodeoing, before cell phones, you know, right. just before cell phones. Yep. You know, that's what we did. We'd start shuffling the cards. Um, sometimes, if you wanted to play a little more gamble to it, we'd play full deck pitch, but most of the time we cut the deck down to, to the tens and up and a deuce in the deal low and yeah, moved what, on fast. What's sad about this conversation, there's a lot of young people, if they listen to it, won't have a clue what we're talking yeah. about. Well, and uh, when, when did... We can educate them real quick. Yeah, they did All they got to do is come sit around with us. And, That's uh, right. They'll know how to play pitch after a little while. Right, right. Now, your dad growing up in this, and your, of course, your mother's dad, granddad, traders, his dad's dad was a trader, and your dad grew up trading... At what point did he, uh, your granddad said in this article you gave me to read, he didn't want to be away from home rodeoing. But at what point did your dad start deciding to hit the rodeo road? Probably not too long after that article was written, honestly. He, he's been a rodeo guy his whole life, Charlie. I've never 
I've never known him to, you know, he still rides a horse every day. He still picks up a rope every day, you know. And He was rodeo in college too, wasn't he? College rodeo. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was American Junior Rodeo Association champion in his younger days. What event was he a champion in? At, in at All around. All around? Yes, mm -hmm. sir. He rode, he, he, uh, he did every event in rodeo there for a while. That's how we got moved this direction. There was a lot of amateur rodeos that they worked called the uh, UPRA back in the day. And he, uh, he worked saddle bronc riding, team roping, calf roping on the regular and then started adding steer roping into his deal. But I got pictures of him riding bulls and yeah. bareback riding. You showed also. me a picture of him riding the bronc coming out of the chute. It was just an outstanding picture. Yeah, bronc riding was his passion. Um, still is even though he retired in 1977 from bronc riding he he uh he broke his leg at cheyenne he told me and he said our family almost starved to death yeah. until he got well and he decided just to be a rodeo roper then because yeah. <laughs> it's so much more money and easier when you was growing up say pre-10 year olds where was you living at that point in time uh i grew up in hutchinson kansas okay and then at what time point in time did you move this direction i was a senior in high school and i was moving down they were we were moving to McAllister, oklahoma to be closer to my grandparents there and uh my dad bought me an old pickup one horse trailer borrowed what borrowed a one horse trailer from a guy in McAllister actually and i was going down there a couple weeks ahead of them to start school my senior year and that old pickup blew up <laughs> in south haven kansas i could see the oklahoma line from you, you weren't pushing it a little hard was you well heck i didn't know i didn't ever <laughs> i had never even driven it before jimbo right and uh i'm unloading my old horse fixing to ride him into town because we're i can see the interstate exit right there and I'll be a son of a gun. An old guy pulled up and asked if he could, if I needed any help. And I said, well, unless you're heading close to McAllister, Oklahoma, you know, not going to be with much help to me today, but I appreciate it. He said, well, son, I live in Hartshorn. What can I do for you? Which is only about 20 miles from McAllister. And he was driving an old pickup. And... I unhooked that trailer right there and we pulled that truck forward with the chain and I unloaded my bags out of it and we, we hooked right onto that trailer and I, I haven't seen that truck since, Jimbo. Mm -hmm. Just left it there. <laughs> I just left it there. Yeah. I've never seen it since. Um, that's, that, that's great. You know, Jimbo, I'm already convinced Cody has got to write a book one of these days. He should. Yes, he should. He, he, and, you know, gets a few more years experience at, at the museum business and what he's doing here for Paul Huska then he, he definitely needs to. And at what point did you start pro-rodeoing? Uh, well, I bought my permit when I was 18 years old. And I went to a few rodeos. I won one or two checks. First check, Laredo, Texas. It's a great, that was a great time down there. Never been to Laredo. <laughs> I highly encourage you to go. Were you just steer roping or years ago. did you do anything else? I mainly just started focusing on steer roping. I, I team roped and bulldogged and roped a little bit of calves through high school. Right. But 
I always wanted to be a steer roper, sure. that's for sure. Sure. I didn't ever see myself doing much of anything else in the rodeo world besides steer roping. But yeah, I, I made the national high school finals mm-hmm. time or two. Uh, and what events was that? Team roping. Team roping. I could there for a while. I got to where I could heal pretty good, but <laughs> this rodeo is a very humbling sport. But I got off that old horse I was healing good on, and I've never really healed that great since, Charlie. Right. That old booger, he'd cheat me just enough. I'd have to stand up and rope a little more correctly than uh, if a, a horse that gave me a good shot. So he was just hard to dally on, you know. Right. And, and that brings up a subject for me, Cody. And there's so many places and ways we could go in this, in this visit here tonight. But here again... I don't think a lot of people, if they have not been there and done that, it's just like your interview with John Miller talked about the best head horse he'd ever seen. Tommy Wayman talking about, you know, as good a polo play horse as there was in the country. We can hear the announcers say or hear the interviews on the rodeo and how important their horse is, but until you get that great one or that one that really fits you, that is, then you rarely never know the how to experience it no it's a special thing to find a horse that you really mesh with really good but our biggest problem growing up is we'd get them going good charlie and then we'd sell them right um let's talk about the buckskin horse your dad won so much on was that his best horse ever probably (sighs) that horse made my dad's career that's for sure yes what was his name his name was Old Dutch. Dutch, yes. Yes, sir. He, uh, in fact, there's a big mural at the Cowboy Hall of Fame, or not at the American Quarter Horse Hall of Fame. Dutch is right in the middle of it, okay. over there. It's one of the most accomplished rodeo horses in history. But before Dutch, they had an old horse called Dunny that was a real good horse. Um, my mom ended up in the top 20 in the world on him, barrel racing, and my dad made two national finals on him, steer roping. And the, that's just something you don't hear every day. No, sure. A husband and wife sharing it and being very competitive on that horse. Right. You know? So, uh, but old Dutch, I was a young boy when we first got him. But uh, my dad had rode the train, the Hamtrak train, <laughs> believe it or not, to La Hunta, Colorado, to the horse sale. And... There were some old boys from uh, from a feed yard out in western Kansas that had him there. He was broke, but just barely broke. Just kind of pulling around broke, they said. But they uh, put him in on loose because the commission was only 5% compared to 7% on a rider. And they said he brought $3,500 that day on the loose, which is a lot of money yeah, for a horse that's not being ridden or Especially in that represented. Day you know, yes, they, they didn't want you representing a horse and on the loose. So you paid the extra 2% for that privilege. So they just did it because it's cheaper to sell him that way, and <clears throat> they were wanting rid of him. He brought 3500 on the loose, and my dad sent him to uh, my grandpa down in uh, Clovis right then. Made sure he's good to go. And he rode him there at the cell barn there for a while and uh, probably taught his voice commands there at the cell barn, I would assume. And they said he was just a natural horse, just went to roping on him. And uh, 
He just started calling him and well, waiting on him right immediately. He was built somewhat like that train your dad rode. He was stout. Oh, yeah. He yeah, was, he was a once-in-a-lifetime find. That's yes, real, sir. No doubt. And I saw I watched him rope on him a lot, especially at the national finals. And I think most of them was at the lazy at the time that he was riding Dutch, I believe. Yeah, the last year he rode Dutch right there at the national finals, he uh, first year kicked loose. I just watched this videotape the other day. I was I was playing in the bleachers somewhere, throwing mud around at other kids or something. I wasn't even watching this. And then he placed in the next six rounds after that. So, and then one of them is uh, old Dutch. Dutch's footing came out from under him and he fell. And uh, he went ahead and got up and tied the steer in 14. And Dutch, he got up back up on the end of it and uh, just stood there, just like you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. So that's really the first time I'd ever seen him. You know, most horses would run away after a scare and a fall like that. But old Dutch, he just got right back up and worked just like yeah. a steer horse is supposed to. And before we get away from your dad, how many of the Cheyenne championships did he win on Dutch? Do you know? None. He didn't win any of them? No, sir. Okay. And is he the only person to win four championships at Cheyenne? Well, two of his championships were in the seniors, Charlie, and two of them were in the regular rodeo. In the Open. In the PRCA rodeo. So you can chalk. No, there's other guys that probably have four Cheyenne wins, including all-around wins. You know, the Stetson Vest, he won two or three buckles just the other day. Well, that's true. But, uh, you know, he... As far as stats at Cheyenne, it would be real interesting to go back and look. He roped there 35 times, and he probably won 35 checks. Now, he, one year he might have won three checks, mm-hmm, and the sure. next year he didn't win a check, and the next year he won a go-round and didn't win anything else. But, you know, he, he probably won as many checks as he did going there. So was he, I know he trained you, helped you. Is there any other steer ropers that had a great influence on you in your roping career? Not really. Um, other than some you watched, you probably wanted to be like them. Some of them. Yeah. I, for some reason, a little bullheaded, and I didn't want to listen mm-hmm. to anybody else's way of doing it. So, right. in hindsight, probably would have helped me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, During your time of tripping steers, who was also going to the finals and kind of at the top of the heap during that era that she was roping trevor brazil you know all the toughs trevor brazil guy allen rocky patterson um pretty well all the toughs scott snedeker i've just been i've just been semi-retired for six years now so i think my i got my prca card in the late 90s sometime so from the late 90s to now but i grew up watching all the guys from the about 1984 up to when i kind of started paying attention to to watching some of the runs and some of the people that were that we were around you ever thought about cracking back back out oh sometimes every all the time every time you see somebody <laughs> yeah if you're watching one you're thinking yeah. oh my lord now where did you rope at in the finals what what venues because i knew the was it during the lazy year era that you was there oh heck so 
my career my career was a typical Cowboys career, Charlie. I uh, I was a top twenty guy for several years, you know, and uh, had a chance to make the finals several times, right right up to the very last run of the year. But uh, I never capitalized on any of that, okay. um, which is fine. Shoot, yeah, you had a heck of a career. Yeah. Well, I see. I thought you had been to the finals there, but oh, I untied steers at the finals several times. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you know, we were in the steer business. We supplied the steers at the finals. Um, my old man, I, you know, he he made the finals nine times. So, but uh, how many years did you supply the steers at Cheyenne? Uh, I think about seven, Charlie. Seven years. Some of the best times of my life. Were right they now. driving them from the ranch then? Is it, were they still doing that? Oh, it's it a pretty interesting deal. I hold all the steers up there. I'd take three semi-loads of steers up there and uh, drop them off about 10 miles north of town in a great big pasture. And Just tripping cattle, or did you have some other cattle too? Bulldog and stuff? Team roping. Okay, team roping. And we helped put together some of the bulldog okay. steers. I would uh, all part of them up there too. But we'd go through thousand head of cattle trying to put together a set of Cheyenne steers so what we couldn't put together in a, a big frame of a steer we tried to put a, a lot of horn on them at least mm-hmm. to make it a a good old timey type rope and right. the best we could so I'd haul three three semi loads of cattle up there one after another <laughs> it's a good thing that I never got pulled over or they checked any logbooks because I didn't even know anything about any of them. Would you just haul an empty truck back and get another load? Is that how you did it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I got caught in a tornado one time on the way back with an empty trailer. and uh, You don't want to be in an empty cattle trailer with, right. uh, in a tornado. Catch a lot of wind, don't you? Anyway, we three semi-loads, 10 miles north of town, and then a few days before the rodeo, they turn everything out there, the bulldog and steers, the calves and everything, and they have a great big roundup. Mm-hmm. So all the, you know, the Colorado senators and mm-hmm. things like that, the Wyoming governor, and, you know, all kinds of people meet there at 5 o'clock in the morning. They'll have a big chuck wagon breakfast. And I don't think they even do this anymore. I think they're bringing in the bucket horses now, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I really think that's cool. So this kind of information is so fascinating to me because that's stuff we never hear about well yeah, yeah it was always fascinating to me the behind the scenes yeah, behind the a scenes lot of this stuff, stuff. What, what, we didn't as cowboys we didn't know anything about it what surprised me though they threw them all together you know and then you had to sort them back out yeah so we drive them 10 miles they shut down the interstate yeah. i-25 there and uh we drive them down to the exit the where the exit to the state capitol where you go to the, the frontier fairgrounds there mm-hmm. And they'd take off, you know, through the golf course, and we'd have to go rope them off the golf course, of course. And I've heard of them jumping in swimming pools and over fences and all kind of fun stuff. And they'd uh, drive them over there to the racetrack and then drive them all the way around the racetrack back to the pins, and we'd sort all the all the hmm. different uh, types of cattle off from each other. And then they'd pull, put everything on full uh, feed. Hey. And all those cinders and stuff, they probably, when they, once they got there, they was done. They probably weren't there for the sorting. They were sore. I don't even know if they made it all the way in. But, I mean, but they didn't stick around for the sorting, though, did they? Oh, no. Yeah, no, there was only a handful of people. Yeah. Uh, at that time, a pretty cool, some pretty, couple pretty cool people were back there in charge of the pins when we first came along. 
and uh, it was Brad Shirley Churchill, which Brad was a, a longtime pickup man for Harry Bold, mm -hmm. and uh, Shirley, she was the Frontier Days lady over the pins. But after a couple of years of working with us, they got rid of everybody else's over anything, and we just did all our own sorting from there on. And before we move on, but where where was your favorite place, or you enjoyed most two trip steers? Was it Cheyenne? Oh yeah, it's definitely one you look forward to every year. So, if you're a steer roper, Charlie, this is the ones you look forward to. You look forward to Cheyenne. Besides the nostalgia of being there, you see all your old friends. And uh, you look forward to Pecos, Texas, just because it's got such a deep history in rodeo, and they've always supported the steer ropers, so we support them, I feel like. It's a great rodeo. And Pendleton, Oregon, you know. Yeah. No if you're doubt. a steer roper, you love those three as far as rodeos. What makes Pendleton so special, Cody? Well... If you're into uh, nostalgia, mm -hmm. if you're into the the roots of rodeo and the way they've always done it, at one place, it's right there. They, they haven't changed much, have they? Very little. Yeah. Very little. Um, you know, I'd, I'd go through all those museums, you know, like the Cheyenne Frontier mm -hmm. days, because we were there for so long. And growing up, you could get in for free. You know, mm -hmm. you could get into the carnival for free if you were a contestant or a contestant's son. Somehow, you know, I take my dad's back number. They gave a gave each family one pass to get in, and I I never missed Cheyenne with my dad for sure. So you went to the you went to the carnival, you went to the museums, right? Places they let you in for free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, sure. but the setup was different at all three of those places as far as the setup, as the scores and the oh yeah, the shoots had the difference in them. Until this Cowboy Channel came along, I couldn't even hardly describe to people how they run Pendleton, and it it never even made sense to me as a roper how they actually ran it. You know how the how they brought the steers back from behind there, and the way you backed up against the announcer stand, and the right side of your box is just contestants lining the uh, track right there, and they're all coaching you. You know. So yeah, it's uh, I couldn't even conceive how they did some of these things until I saw them with my own eyes. And now, luckily, with the you know like the Cowboy Channel and stuff like that, people can see how they do these things, and uh, it's great. You know, there's yes, nothing sir. there's nothing cooler. You know that that Pendleton it still run the same way. I think the shoots are actually at a different end now, which is no big deal. But do you run down the hill there? There's a slight incline. Uh, it used to be a pretty big one, from what I understand, and uh, it's, it's not near as big as it used to. Now, like Pecos, what kind of score do they have at Pecos? You know, it's varied through the years. But not as long as Cheyenne. It's 20 to 18 to 25 foot at, okay. at Pecos. And, uh, you know, they got a, a huge arena, but they don't generally rope walking fresh steers, you know, that time of year. Usually you got an older an older wiser set so each rodeo usually had its own intangibles like that you know uh, Cheyenne typically until the last couple of years everybody was guaranteed a walk-in fresh steer you know your steer might run but you're guaranteed pretty well that you know no one in the United States has ran in because we've only used you know Mexican origin steers for 
for that rodeo and uh they used a handful barrier 30 foot long score right up until the last couple of years i think they just backed it off to 25 foot score which which still it's not helping the cowboy that much besides maybe being a bulldogger there because because you're right there on that left fence um, there's really nowhere to go unless you got a real game plan and uh, that's the reason i think so many of them older guys and and guys that win a lot at cheyenne you know continue to win a lot at cheyenne because they can much use their head you know in all those situations that can arise there so have they moved that fence in it just seems like it gets narrower all the time to me it seems like it and and i i think that it probably has moved in a little bit through the years um makes you wonder steer roping made cheyenne why would they ever start it a setup with not more room to go left well i i didn't mind that because it really was a it evened up it evened everything up it wasn't just a a run and gun roping it was a you know it was a luck of the draw yeah anybody's game it just depend on your luck that day because you know we talked we talked to guy allen last night he went you know 19 years or some crazy thing right. he never won a check at cheyenne until he did then he won them all yeah but uh it just looks like the steer ropers back then in the early days they would have laid it out a little more steer roper friendly yeah you'd think they love steer roping up there well they do you know there's a lot of good steer ropers from up there yeah a lot of good legacy families from up there yeah that uh you know the multi-generations of them were steer ropers changing the direction a little bit you started hudson went to McAllister. What got you to Paul Husco, Oklahoma? I want to really spend some time about Paul Husco, Oklahoma, because you are changing. I know, I don't know how, just how to put it. We know the Pioneer Woman's made, done tremendous things for Paul Husco, but you were right there making a change in this community. And what, one, what got you here? Then what got you so interested in doing what you're doing? Well, this has always felt like a hometown to me. Pahuska is the <laughs> Pahuska is the steer open capital of the world. Yes, sir. And if you haven't ever listened to a podcast or been to Pahuska, Oklahoma, or been to the Ben Johnson, you won't quite comprehend what what he's saying right here. Right. Because you know, I grew up. 60 70 miles west of here and i got to see sonny davis i got to see show webster i got to see Albert shaw even though i would never roped mm -hmm, sure but i got to see those guys right and uh and got to see the and feel the heritage and eat the fried chicken out before the rodeo you know with the hope and pain and sitting out there under a tree eating fried chicken that miss jane had made mm -hmm. i mean it don't get no more when I was a kid, my uh, grandmother would always, well, along with some of the other wives, would, would make food, you know, and they'd have a little tarp over, hanging off the trailer, and Everett Shaw and all those guys, would, that's where they'd come eat, you know, a little snack maybe after the roping, maybe between the go-arounds or whatever. But there was always potato salad and fried chicken and all that kind of stuff for the ropers, you know. And, it and I, it I, makes I, you want to say, world, slow down. Yeah. You're missing some of the greatest times that any of us has ever had at, at things like this. Right. right. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, it's just a real personal place to me. 
And Lauren didn't hurt. No, heck no. We were <laughs> actually we, uh, you know, we were here all the time. They have this is the steer open capital of the world, and what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, they have a lot of steer opens around here too. So they have a they have an association called the uh, Osage Steer Roping Club, and you know that's where you come as a, a young steer roper learn the ropes, or that's where you. If you're a seasoned steer roper, that's where you come to bring your your older horse, or I mean your newer horse that you're trying to get seasoned along, or just trying to get some competition runs on yourself. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of money to be made, mm-hmm. Adam. A lot of experience to be had right. at these ropings here, and uh, they have them here. They've always—I don't even know when they started. You were a director for it. Yeah, I was a director there in the mid '80s, vice president, and secretary. But they just started in their, like 83, maybe, something like that. Yeah. They started out roping heifers with plastic horns, you know, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they even had, they used to have the finals at the Lazy E. So this is, uh, you know, this is the steer roping capital of the world, and this is where you come if you, if you, if you are a steer roper or if you want to be a steer roper. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you, you're going to come through this town. And, you know, I know everybody here almost. Right off the bat, I don't know how many people I know here before I ever moved here. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the people in this museum I knew before mm-hmm. I moved here or knew of, mm-hmm. anyway, most of them. Sure. I've stumbled on a lot of cool stuff. Right. But as far as building this, Charlie, I don't know. I don't know. I'm crazy. Well, <laughs> I think I might be a little bit crazy. Well, when the. Then along the lines, though, you met Miss Lauren. Oh, yeah. And how long have you guys been married? 13 years. 13. Right, almost. And got two beautiful daughters. And this, I just like being around them because they know how to behave, and they got a very good mama. Yeah, everything I, everything I have has came to me from a rope, Charlie. I was in town putting on a... They were just having an amateur rodeo here in town. They called me up, wanted me to bring the steers. So I brought a, a pot load of steers. And we had steer roping and bulldogging and team roping. And then we had a big Osage County only roping. Unless you're a sponsor. And then you got a rope in it as you were a local. And I was supplying the steers for it. Her dad showed up to rope. And uh, she had just graduated college. And she showed up to watch her dad. And we met each other that night it was the craziest thing and we haven't spent but a couple days apart since that night over 13 years ago she uh she quit her job right then her summer job she's running the pool here in in pahuska and she hit the she hit the rodeo trail with me for the rest of the summer and then she became a school teacher yeah right in barnsdall one teacher of the year right before i made her retire to go to work at our pawn shop so you uh, started out really in business here in the pawn shop business is that correct oh yeah i got so lucky like i said everything that i have in life has came to me from a rope sorry uh, i met a guy here at the osage steer open club he won he had won the sea roping division for the year and uh he bought his permit to go to some rodeos and I had entered a rodeo down in Bridgeport, Texas just this side of Fort Worth 
and I caught a I went and looked at the list of ropers and saw that Larry Stewart You're right. he was entered my, in Bridgeport, Texas he kind of my neighbor Stillwater <laughs> this is the craziest thing I'll tell you a funny Larry Stewart story first time I ever met him this is I mean I had met him a few times but I never traveled with him anywhere so he was entered there I was entered there I said hey can I ride with you to Bridgeport because I didn't have a truck that would make it to Bridgeport and back probably a trailer either and uh, he said well sure so me and my pregnant wife loads up with Larry and uh, heads to Bridgeport <laughs> we we unload at Bridgeport middle of the night the slacks the next morning and uh, he gets this it's one piece of a hobble Charlie and tied to a chain that's about 20 foot long and he crawls underneath his trailer and hooks this chain to the axle of his trailer and then takes this hobble that's on the other end of the chain and hooks it to his horse's front foot and uh, throws in some hay on the ground there so I've never seen that done before to this day, I've only seen it done to maybe an elephant in the circus mm-hmm. or something. I've yeah. never seen anyone do that to their horse. So, but the horse, it seemed like he'd done it. He's been in this predicament a time or two, and it didn't bother him near as bad as I thought it was going to bother him. But uh, probably not. I always wondered how the training process went for that. Uh, right. To tie your horse up by the front foot with the shackle thing at the rodeo. I've just never, <laughs> to this day. I mean, I've I've traveled. <laughs> To rodeos every single way you can get there, and and it kept my horse in every imaginable situation. I feel like almost, and uh, but I've you never thought about doing that. Until never hobbled that, him to the trailer though. Not by his front foot. Not by <laughs> one front foot. I've hobbled horses by two front feet, right. but never one front foot. So I always had to w- well, wonder what the training session was like. He was there the next morning. No one. No, <laughs> the damn shackle came undone, oh. but. <laughs> <laughs> He'd done it several more times after that, and I didn't see the horse ever get in a storm until, <laughs> until I tell you what, we were in Deadwood, South Dakota, uh, eating a steak. We were up, up in the rodeo in Sturgis that night after we roped. We went to uh, Deadwood to have a little fun over there and get a call. We we all went. Uh, Rode up there with J.P. Wicket and a couple other guys. A whole bunch of us loaded up in a big stock trailer and went to Sturgis, South Dakota, because it was a quick turnaround back to Ben Johnson here. And uh, they called Larry, different horse, but he had, he tied him up on the end of his halter and threw some hay on the ground. And his horse got the lead rope underneath the corner of the trailer and broke his neck right there. We had to give him to the bear. The, we had to give him to the place where they feed the bears over there by Mount Rushmore. Well, and his name was Bear. What's the odds of that? Well, that's well. that's funny. But so, but Larry get, helped you get into the pawn shop business. Is that so? After I went to that first rodeo with Larry, Larry decided he wanted to enter all the rodeos for the rest of the year. So, asked me if I was uh, willing to help him do that. I said, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm. I'm planning on entering all the rodeos the rest of the year myself. And uh, he had a truck that ran. I didn't. He had a good trailer. I didn't. So 
it was just a match made in heaven right off the bat just for the vehicle reasons alone and for me to get to see him shackle his horse up by one foot to see what might happen every evening when we got done with the rodeo and uh that turned into us rodeoing for like three or four years together larry he was a real trooper he he loved steer roping loved the cowboy lifestyle everything about it the rodeo lifestyle he was all about it and uh didn't win a whole lot of money but we had a whole lot of fun and we were headed to we were headed to pendleton oregon one year and this is after i'd done married lauren and i was here in pahuska and i was just honestly i was just barely getting by charlie um my wife was just a school teacher over here and uh he hands me this book and uh, i said what is this? this is a great big binder he had put together and he said, well, that's everything you need to know to open a pawn shop right there, Cody. I said, Larry, I can't, even, I can't open a lemonade stand on the corner. What are you talking about? And uh, he said, well, you know, a few months ago, you said the pawn shop closed in Pahuska. And you, you thought you could make it go in the pawn shop business, you know, with your trader background. He believed in it. And uh, I said, well, thank you, Larry. I'll read this book and... You know, I'll, I'll consider opening a pawn shop. Thank you. He said, well, I'm not only going to give you this book. I said, I want to be your partner in this pawn shop. He said, I, I just believe 110% in you. And uh, boy, howdy, we opened the pawn shop. And we, holy moly, the first year I was open, I would have a, a line of people. 10 o'clock every morning, you know, five or six people waiting on me to open the pawn shop to do business that day. So it was really great. And after a, a few years of the pawn business, he he said, you know, if something's ever happened to me, I, did, I want you to be okay. Um, if you'll just buy me out for what I've invested in this, that would suit me just fine. So this building you're sitting in was a pawn shop. This whole building, this room we're sitting in was was my pawn shop room this is where i stored all the tvs and <laughs> pendleton blankets and things that i had in pawn and if they haven't been here now it's full of ben johnson pictures and memorabilia and drum and ranch memorabilia right in the same room oh yeah oh yeah it's, it's uh this whole thing over here it, it it's weird it i feel weird every time we i walk into the museum that you know it don't it don't seem real like we really built this it doesn't uh it really still doesn't register to this day after coming in here at least a thousand times so as a little kid i remember coming in here with my grandma's shop and it was a safeway store is that right mm -hmm. before that it was a car dealership wasn't it yeah, this is an old historic building yeah, yeah. it's been around yeah. a long yeah. time sure it was a skating ring upstairs no, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I still got the skating ring yeah. and uh, the, the yellow tape. Yeah. Well, my earliest memory of the Safeway, but don't yeah. know what it was. Well, wow. Of course, you grew up here and spent your whole life here, Jimbo. That's right. correct. Yes, right. sir. Right. So, uh, well, it's, I enjoy your podcast and you being here, not only your informer history and knowledge of rodeo, but the heart and spirit you have for for Paul Huska and the rodeo and the western way of life so 
you, you two are just a natural fit and I enjoy listening to you and that's one reason I wanted to uh, do this with Cody so people can know a little more about his background and and you, you talk about you don't really know how it happened some of the great things that happen in life is when we're in a zone and we don't even remember hardly how you probably the best ropings you ever went to you don't remember you don't remember hardly roping that day oh all i i remember a few of them but i you know you mainly remember the ones that you you, you drop the ball on for right. sure charlie but when you're in that zone there's just a, such a, a feeling about things going on and uh yeah, I just feel like this was a almost a calling in life for me. It's uh, crazy to say, but when did you get the idea of the museum? Well, I had the idea, and I told a few people the idea. I said I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna open this big cowboy museum right here in the back of my pawn shop, everybody. And that's about the time everyone had stopped listening to me, Jimbo, and uh, boy, howdy. I had heard of your grandpa. I didn't know you. And uh, I went to go pick some stuff up from his house. I had a monthly auction here in town for the auction. Just some old stuff, garage sale type stuff. And I drove under that Snively Ranch and saw the steer roper up there and it clicked. This is Jim Snively's old place. And Jimbo happened to be there. And I told him about it. And he immediately went and got his uh, granddad's scrapbook, an Uncle Joe scrapbook, and started showing me everything. He was just so excited. He was the, uh, he's honestly the, the guy that helped me make my mind up. To, I don't know if I ever told him that, but he's the only guy that didn't treat me like I was, you know, crazy, which it didn't sound crazy. I don't blame him, honestly, because it, it did sound kind of crazy talking about it in hindsight but he didn't he didn't take me as crazy because he had the same passion for this as i did charlie and i could i could see your passion you know when you were serious and i was a (laughs) i hadn't always had this long hair you know and beard and all that so and uh and you knew it was he looked beyond all that for sure because he didn't know me but i knew you you weren't in it for the money either you know i knew you you genuinely loved the 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 western and you want to honor these old guys yeah i mean this isn't a you know this isn't making right you know right it's probably costing me more money True. every day than it brings in but it just brings more joy to me and, and right. everybody else that most everyone else that comes in it anyway in the uh, planning stages was you did you give thought to calling it the osage cowboy museum kind of i did i didn't know how I, I did give that a thought. Yeah, it was. I give it, actually give it the Cowboys of the Osage real heavy thought. I never told Jimbo that, but yeah, we almost we almost named the museum Cowboys of the Osage. But it really bugged me that we didn't have something, you know, in Ben Johnson's name here in town. It it just ate and ate at me. We didn't really have a sign coming into town for anybody. We have all these world champions, including Ben Johnson, the only man to ever win a Academy Award in a rodeo world championship. I mean, that's some big time stuff Absolutely. in our way of life, for sure. He just and uh, you know a lot of these guys, 
When we opened it up, well, they pointed at Justin Patterson. Well, I didn't know that guy was a world champion cowboy. Right. You know, he's this crazy guy that runs in the post office without a mm-hmm. shirt on. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of that happened. And then when we opened it up, a lot of guys would come in and they would, uh, a lot of grown men, hardened ranchers, hardened rodeo cowboys, it would uh, just flood back a bunch of memories for them. And, you know, they'd start crying. So I knew we kind of, I knew we did something right for some people, you know. Absolutely. It amazes me you talked about people just bringing stuff in here just out of the blue, you know. Just stuff walking in the door, you know, that you never expected. Well, well, you know, just as good as anybody, Jimbo, you know, there's not a a lot of places that that honor our way of life like this. Um, Your granddad, world champion cowboy, one of the originals in the Turtles, and how long after his death did it take you to get him in the Cowboy Hall of Fame? I know it, and, and I know this museum had a lot to do with that. Well, I don't know about that. but I absolutely do, because he was kind of forgotten. There's a lot of these guys that were kind of forgotten. And uh, they don't need to be forgotten. I mean, Gigi Louise uh, winning the world championship, to me, in rodeo, what's the difference in a Super Bowl ring or a right. World Series trophy? There's really not. In our world, it's just as big. Well, it is just as big, yeah. and it ought to be just as big to right. to everybody else, too. Right. How many countries or states, or do you keep enough record to know, have come through the museum now? What, three years? Yeah. Are we three years into it? Yeah, we're over three years into it now. Uh, you know, just about everybody in the whole United States, Continental, has been here, including Alaska. I don't know if we've had any Hawaiians here or not. We've had people that's been to Hawaii, if that's count. Uh, in countries, holy moly, that would be interesting. Uh, you know, we right when we kicked this museum off, the, the COVID plague followed right after that. So, you know, that wasn't real good on, on tourism itself. So, I mean, you know, the, this thing was just sitting here accumulating bills for for quite some time and uh, not seeing anybody come through at Charlie's so something about museums they tell me I I went took a tour at Oklahoma City at the Cowboy Western Heritage Center Museum and they said the averages are 10 to 12 percent of you of the inventory is on display and they have they run 12 to 14 percent I was in Naaman Carter one time, and they had 1,500, 2,000 items out, and they had 12,000 or 15,000 items. And this is the thing that Cody's got is a big part of his, what he has is out. And that's why I think we will see in, in the years to come an expansion of this because there's so much stuff available that families want to see, that the people want to see that come through here. And uh, so we don't know where, I don't think Cody knows where this thing's really going to go. Yeah, we're, we're still in the wild west of this deal, Charlie. You know, just a just a few, a year ago, this room didn't have but a handful of pictures on the wall. You know, now we, we're working on it every day still. When you first opened the museum, this room wasn't even open. No, this was just, this, we're still under construction yeah, over right. here. And I didn't even know 
what it was going to be for what it was going to be i didn't know if we could you know add this to make it a make it a wing to the museum i don't know yeah. i never built a museum right. before. Right. <laughs> right. i've never been in the museum business in any right. form or fashion i just uh who, i don't know who is doing so are you you or lauren doing all the promotion on facebook of the museum on a about daily basis that's about the only thing I can do good, Charlie. I, I'm not good on the Facebook, but holy moly. Somehow I got a knack for advertising. I can get the word out on certain things. Yes, sir. They, uh, well, I didn't go to any school for it, but I did, I did work for some pretty big companies in their advertising department. So yeah. it, it definitely helped me. Well, you do a great now to job. get the word out, but you know my wife, she's she's great. She's a natural magnet. People love her. Can't figure out why I'm with her. It's just uh, another thing in in the midst of this that you have started is a Ben Johnson Days Ranch Rodeo. I like talking to you about that a little bit. It's had two very successful years. WRCA Ranch Rodeo. Yeah, I've never really. The crazy thing is, I've only been to a couple ranch rodeos in my life, Charlie. I've been to <laughs> every other kind of rodeo. So, you know, that's... I was thinking what our community needed. And we're a ranching community. And a big part of our ranches, they have a ranch rodeo team. Just like, you know, we're a steer roping community and we have a bunch of good steer ropers here. So we were just wanting to add to the week of Ben Johnson Memorial Steer Open and the Cattlemen's Convention and add a ranch rodeo, but I didn't want to add just a, they already had a ranch rodeo. It was like a local's ranch rodeo on, I think it was on Friday night before the Ben Johnson. And I had heard that Claremore, which is a WRCA approved ranch rodeo, was not going to have it anymore. That's a working ranch cowboys association. Yes, sir. Ha uh, home, the, their home office is in Amarillo. And you know, through the years, we've they've tried to get uh, one of these approved rodeos in Pawhuska. Never could because you can only have so many of them in a geographical region, so you're not stepping on Claremore's toes with their rodeo. And then on top of that, you're only allowed to have so many a year. So with those two factors at play, you know, it was over 20 years, they, you know, they kind of gave up on trying to have one here because who would have ever thought Claremore, you know, a great facility, great, great thing would stop having one there. So I heard that and I immediately got on the phone with them, you know, over a year in advance of this thing, of our first one. And, uh, you know, I, I called the WRCA every week because I, couldn't understand in my mind why they couldn't go ahead and approve my rodeo and and so I could go ahead and get started on getting it to be the, the number one ranch rodeo in the nation so uh, I didn't hear until the end of January 1st of February the next year that they had approved Pahuska and I just read it on the website <laughs> on their schedule started getting calls from people wanting to enter the ranch rodeo and and then the ranch rodeo was in June, so I was pretty well behind the eight ball on the first one. Reached out to Charlie to add a world-class trade, trade show. show right with it. And uh, Charlie, if you don't know him, he's a board member of the National Bitten Spur and Saddle 
collectors and the auctioneers that pre to West art sale at the Cowboy Hall of Fame. It's something in Western Heritage Center, something, but to me, it's going to be the Cowboy right. Hall of Fame. That's the way I know it. You know, he auctioneers that, so he's a pretty prominent guy in our industry. He's on the Cowboy Channel all the time. I see him. He's getting yep. famous. Yep. He's, he's threatening to start his own podcast pretty soon. I think it'll be great. Y'all, everybody be listening for it. But anyway, you know, he's someone I knew. He's one of the best in the business. So I just asked him if he would do the trade show and, and he happily did it for a couple of years for us and help us get it launched off the ground and you know it, the first year we probably had a million dollars worth of bits and spurs sitting in there that's saying something that is so you know hopefully it grows every year that's the name of the game right just we get want, a little bigger every year we want to be the Cheyenne of uh, ranch rodeos before it's all said and done why not? Right in the middle of Osage County? What better place? Yeah, we did, I, we're the only, I think one of the only ones we didn't hold any money out of any of the contestants mm -hmm. that entered. Mm -hmm. We paid 100% of the money back because, you know, being a rodeo guy myself, you know, I think that's the yeah. the right thing to do for these guys. Yeah. And not living in Osage County, being from Stillwater, but to come to a meeting up here, we're going to start the rodeo. Well, I'll go get this sponsor. And then I start, I'm in on the emails and the the text is, well, I got so-and-so for $500. I got so And this thing just pretty near sponsors itself mm -hmm. to see the way this community backs, steps in, and supports their own like they end up. But I know. The first that, year they sponsored it really good. Right. And this last year, you know, I don't know what it was. I think that. There's a lot of things going on that week. Mm -hmm. I had a little bit of trouble. I mean, this last year, um, I was on the hook for over $20,000 if nobody showed up to watch it because that's how far in mm -hmm. the hole we were before we even, before the first night's performance, actually. Right. So, you know, but I didn't want to do, pardon my language, you know, I didn't want to try to do a half assed one. So I, right. I didn't spare, I tried not to spare any expense, you know, trying right. to on a top-notch show i think it still ended up losing two thousand but way that's way better than twenty thousand dollars at the end of the day right it was a first class show though yeah i mean you can only do so much for a ranch rodeo and we did yeah. all we could with what we were working with for sure when you turn teams away the words out how good it is yeah. and the thing about it is a trade show and i did tell cody that i'd not like to get somebody to cover it this year, but I'm not going to leave him hanging. I'll probably be there doing it. But this is an experience. And I do, I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming this past weekend to a collector's show. We had so many more people come through Paw Huska Ranch Rodeo Show than we did this show in Cheyenne. But Paw Huska is an experience, it's a destination. You go, and I'm not saying anything negative towards the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Ranch Rodeo, but for a lot of those people, especially out of the city, they come to a ranch rodeo, and that's the experience. But when you come to Paw Huska, you got to get the whole plate. You just don't eat the taco. You got to get the enchilada, the beans, and the rice, and the chips and salsa, and that's what people come to Paw Huska for. You know, Ben Johnson weekend the ranch tour 
the steer opens, three days of them. What goes on at the theater, the Pioneer Woman. There's so many things to experience, and people come here for the whole thing. And this ranch rodeo that Cody's doing to me is really the, the whipped cream and the cherry on top of the ice cream. And uh, It was a lot of work, but I had a lot of help when it came down to actually pulling the rodeo off the last couple of years. Yeah. So it was a lot of work leading into it, but it was it was all worth it for sure. Tell us about your uh, store down on on the highway. You know, a couple of years after I moved here, Charlie, my mother-in-law went to a book signing downtown Pahuska. Reed Drummond, the pioneer woman, was signing a, a book that she, a cookbook she wrote. And that we, everyone was kind of talking, you know, she's blogging and this and that. I didn't know what a blog was. But her deal just really started to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow to where, you know, she's one of the number one television shows in the world now, Charlie. And four or five years ago, six or seven years ago, she started talking about, she had already had the, the number one selling product at, at Walmart. So I started just taking a little bit of notice of her because I was in business in town. Had a lot of people coming through town asking about her, you know, just stopping in the pawn shop. Do you know Reed Drummond and the Pioneer Woman and this and that? Because her, her television show was out for a long sure. time before she built this deal here. And, you know, I started looking around at her. We kind of took for granted all us locals around here. Barely call myself a local, but I'll, I will now. All us locals around here, you know, we just kind of took her for granted. Saw her at the football games, and mm -hmm. I saw her in the grocery store all the time, and I didn't realize how famous she was becoming. Internationally. Famous. Internationally famous. And then, uh, right around that same time, my wife was watching this show called Fixer Upper about mm -hmm. these, this couple from Waco. And they had opened this big deal down there called the silos right and we had been hearing all about it this is before redeal the deal here in town opened and i said you know what we need to go down there and look at that because i heard rumor that this pioneer woman lady is fixing to open up something and probably the only way to get a true feel for what's fixing to happen to us is go down there and then divide it by 10 since we're not on a i-35 mm -hmm. let's just see what's going on we went down there and, you know, people were parking 20 blocks away, walking in, trying to get there. It was still the Wild West down there. They didn't, it was all unincorporated around where those silos are. There wasn't anything there, but there were tens of thousands of people coming every day. Tens of thousands of people coming every day. Actually, Waco was dying out and, and uh, you know, they revitalized that town like no other. And I, I knew it instantly that... I needed to go check out the Duck Dynasty people right then. I knew instantly. I said, well, let's go see what these guys are up to. Their show's not on TV anymore. Let's just see what their traffic's like. Well, they're still seeing record crowds to this day. You know, people making mm -hmm. pilgrimages mm -hmm. down there right. to see them. And I went and visited quite a few other little places like that. 
people that were on TV that was opening a destination place. And I done decided, you know, if thousands of people come to see the American Pickers, little old town in Iowa, that something major was fixing to happen here. So we had been looking at a few products anyway, but wondered how the heck we were going to incorporate them and sell them in our pawn shop, you know, metal flamingos and stuff like that. I saw them at Cheyenne, bought my wife some metal headdress or something, mm-hmm. some cactus up there after I wanted some money. And uh, we knew we wanted to add some of these products that were fun. But just being a small pawn shop in Pahuska, we were barely making it anyway, mm-hmm. actually. Actually, before she came along, I was fixing to shut this thing down and only be open here about once a week in Pahuska. And I was fixing to open a new pawn shop in Collinsville or Skytook. Uh, I just made an offer mm-hmm. you know, on a piece of property, you know, right there at the stoplight, the Skytook, you know, or the, all the highways. Mm-hmm. Sure. I was moving my pawn shop there where that old tire shop was yeah. on the corner. Luckily, I found out it was in a floodplain right there, and they, they hadn't let me out of the deal. And uh, I told Lauren, I said, you know, this is going to sound crazy, I said, but we need to open a, a new division of our store right now, right here in our pawn shop, and uh, selling all these metal animals because they're cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I know where to go buy them, is what I told her. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure. So uh, we <laughs> we we loaded up a. I went and borrowed a trailer from my dad. I borrowed my father-in-law's pickup, and I drove. I didn't tell anyone. We drove to Mexico and big old pocket full of money. Thought it was a pocket full of money, nine thousand dollars. And we bought a trailer load of flamingos and cactuses and. Toucans and I don't know, monkeys and palm trees and big feet, things like that. And uh, we just added it to our pawn shop. And we said, well, we got to call it something different. And one of our daughters is a ballet. One of our daughters thinks she's a cowgirl. So somehow we settled on the name Bucket and Flamingo. Kind of a cowboy in a in an elegant mm-hmm. thing i mean it's the only buck and flamingo in the whole world right and you know it was a hit right off the bat all the locals loved it and pretty soon you know we we had people coming from all over and i said let's turn the whole back into a big buck and flamingo warehouse back here so the whole back i mean <laughs> most of my pawn shop turned into buck and flamingo warehouse front back and and uh I'll be darned, Pioneer Woman people started coming in town, and at that time, it was pretty wild. They had to stand in line to get their place in line. There wasn't any making a reservation or right. put your name on a list. You stand in line, yeah. and people stood in line sure. for, for two blocks deep yeah. in blizzards, yeah. six days a week. Yeah. And uh, a lot of them made their way. We're not on any kind of main street right mm-hmm. here, hardly. We're the where the museum is now but a lot of people word got out well <laughs> take that back it was kind of hard getting them over here jimbo so <laughs> i remember the old guy you set up on the yeah on the i hired corner. a guy ended up being a convicted murderer he stood on the uh, he stood on the corner and waved him in and people loved him until they found out he's convicted murderer and not as many people loved him after that 
And uh, I was still kind of having trouble getting the amount of people I wanted over here in. So I had this big old Cadillac back in Pond. Old pretty much piece of junk Cadillac. And we threw a couple shotguns on the hood. And I went and had it vinyl wrapped. And had six shooters on the doors and great big horns on it. And then I had bought a like a 1930s horse trailer at an auction just because I thought I liked the nostalgia of it mm-hmm. and uh, put it on the back of that Cadillac and had it all hand painted up bucking flamingo world famous <laughs> and then I have a great big flamingo in the back with a saddle in it it looks like you're just hauling around a, a 10 foot flamingo with a saddle on mm-hmm. it in a horse trailer kind of and I all these people were lined up <laughs> for, for blocks both right. both ways. So down Main Street and down Kahika Street. Sure. And about every 30 minutes, I'd start driving the the pawn shop fl- slash flamingo rig around the block with uh, animal sounds playing. Yeah. And I eventually settled on just a moo- mooing sound, mm-hmm. which I still use to this day on the yeah. current flamingo. It gets your attention, you know, when that thing comes, and then they hear that noise. Everybody yeah. looks up. So that changed the game for me. You know, people, soon as soon as they saw the flamingo pawn shop rig, they had to come check that deal out. So they'd, they'd make their way over here a few blocks <laughs> back, off, back off in town here and find, you know, mm-hmm. the original buck and flamingo slash big county pawn. Right. So it was... It was pretty wild, you know, and uh, I got to thinking, man, I got to get this flamingo deal moved, Jimbo. So, so I would, uh, I just kept an eye out for a place mm-hmm. on Main Street, and I happened to be watching the news one night. In the in the Masons, they own the Bucket Flamingo building that I'm currently in. They were having a, a contract dispute with the lady that was down there. They were raising her rent or something mm-hmm. from $400 to $700 a month. But anyway, she was mad at them, and she was moving out, having her final moving sale and this and that. So I I called the Masons right then. I was like, well, if, if you're not going to end up making a deal with her, I'd like mm-hmm. first shot sure. at this building, please. And uh, they gave me first shot, and I, I said, I'll tell you what, I was give you 1000 a month, you know. Because it's worth it in location mm-hmm. for me, and that way we don't have to contract dispute nothing. We just go mm-hmm. right into business. So I moved it over there, and I kept wondering what I was going to do with this building mm-hmm. when I moved it over there. Because I'd done shrunk the pawn shop down to mm-hmm. to not a very big pawn shop anymore because you know we're selling more flamingos than we were right. fishing licenses and stuff. Right. So uh, I just had the bright idea one day we were going to build us a true blue museum back here. And I didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to do it or anything, Jimbo. Seriously, until you gave me the confidence to do it that time. But uh, until wow. that day, you know, I didn't. I didn't know, and I didn't. I didn't know what how it was going to be. And I was driving to Denver one day, and it just dawned on me that you know. I can't venture outside of Osage County. Mm-hmm. I cannot venture outside of Osage County because there's too much here. There's too much Western history here. Pahuska slash Osage County, in my personal opinion, professional museum curator opinion, it it needs to be 
in the same breath as a Tombstone, Arizona, or you know Fort Sumner, yeah. Arizona, where Billy the Kid ran, or Deadwood, Deadwood, South Dakota, yeah. Cheyenne, Wyoming. We need to be in the same breath as all these guys when you're thinking about your true blue historic Western towns. I mean, mm-hmm. we had all the outlaws here. Right. Indian Territory. We were, we were Indian Territory, so the only ones that outlasted us, you know, were the Arizonas and the New Mexico Territories out there. So the Billy the Kids, and we had way more outlaws than they had. You know, right. all the famous ones mm-hmm. hid here through the years. So, there no law. Know, we have the out, you had to be federal, yeah. you no know, lawman to step foot on here, and they only had a handful of them out of Fort yeah. Smith. Right. You know, Bass Reeves mm-hmm. and the old hanging He judge. couldn't cover the whole state, could he? Couldn't cover the whole state. So, you know, we have all those. And, you know, the King Ranch and the Four Sixes Ranches and all that, that's all fine and dandy, and I'm glad that they're all still running to this day in some form or fashion. But, you know what, we had the Chapman Barnard Ranch. You know, we have the Drummond Ranch. Had the Mullendor. Mullendor, very famous ranch, you know. So you look at our ranching history, second to none. Second to none. Then you want to look at our craftsmen from around here. Holy crud. One of, I don't know if his first shop, because it's, it's, it's in dispute right now, but, you know, in Oscar Crockett's writings, his first shop's in Pahuska, Oklahoma, and, that's a, and that shop was across the street from here. Right. And uh, I don't know if anyone's familiar with him. They should be, if they're not. You know, he revolutionized the bit and spur business and still one of the biggest names. You, well, anyway, you can be an entry-level collector and get an Oscar Crockett and get a Crockett piece, or you could be an uh, advanced collector and get an early Crockett piece and everywhere in between. You know, that's a, that's a big name. Mm-hmm, sure. That's a huge name in our industry. I had a uh, interesting find this weekend at Cheyenne, a pair of Crockett Spurs that's in an early catalog that still had the original blue, kind of a gun blue colored. And a lot of people think, and one guy said, are those fake? No, they're not fake. They made them that way, probably came out of the 30s, never been worn. Still had the blue on him, you know. Well, a lot of people don't realize, you know, when his, as his career and company progressed, you know, they started mass manufacturing, but they were all blacksmiths to start out with. He was. And they, and always, they employed a, a crew of blacksmiths, the best, some of the best in the world. And the quality was always there to the end. They was always cowboy tough. And, and well, you look at all these old real cowboy stuff, a lot of them, Wore a pair of Crockett Spurs. A lot of them did. And, you know, all the way up to this day, you can look at our cowboy craftsmen. We got the, the TCA member, Jay Adcock. There's only 13 guys in the whole world that sit in that deal. So, and uh, he's one of the only raw braiders in it that's from America. There's a mm-hmm. French guy in it, a couple South Americans. I remember it's pretty unbelievable. Blucher boots. What about that, Charlie? That's from our area. Um, well, it moved from Cheyenne to to Olathe to, to here to to Fairfax. Yes, yes sir. Right. And I remember coming in here 
in the 60s to Arthur Shepard's saddle shop here in Pawhuska, about a block from where we're sitting, and made wonderful saddles, great craftsmen. Well, all the top cowboys in the day rode a Shep, if you're yeah. a roper, yeah. but before the Fred Lowry's came along. Yeah. You know, or maybe after the Fred Lowry's come along, he probably used a lot of Fred Lowry trees in that deal. Yeah. You know, he's a famous craftsman. Uh, you know, John Israel, we got him, famous craft. You know, and then the rodeo cowboys, that's what sold me. That's what sold me, you know. I'm all about the rodeo cowboy. You guys know that. And, you know, I don't know everything about rodeo, but a lot. That's all I know. Right. Um, <laughs> I went to Cheyenne more times than my dad just because I never missed one from the year I was born to, you know, I went a few times after he retired. So, so uh, you know, it, that's all I know is the rodeo life, the rodeo way of life, and I got to looking around. Heck, besides the best ropers in the world, some of the best bronc riders and bull riders and the first rodeo clown at the first national finals rodeo, you know, we got the number one rodeo act in the world on top of it all all right here still going you know it's a uh, holy moly it just it gets me fired up Jimbo. I, know. And, I, t I tell you something though in talking about this that maybe a section of pictures anyway or a display is the great horses of osage county that that's really gets overlooked and jimbo knows as well as anybody about the great horses of osage county Right. A person could write a book about that, the great horses of Osage County, Oklahoma. Yeah, you know a horse, uh, I just read an article the other day, Charlie, and it sounds crazy. I, I, I didn't know about all this, but, you know, the, the pride of Pahuska, Leo spent more time here than he spent anywhere. The great horse Leo, right here in Pahuska, the majority of his life. Well, that's really something. Most people timed the bud warm at Perry, but that was after the kind of after the fact, wasn't it? He was owned several times here by a few different people right yes. here. Uh huh. And uh, you know, it's I well, saw a picture the other day, Joe Hancock running in a quarter horse race right here at our track. Yeah. Huh. Himself. Whether it's rope horse, race horse, or movie Polo horses, mo movie horses that Ben Johnson took to California, or. The polo horses that Tommy Wayman took out of here. It just goes on and on. Hey, we got national cutting horse champions. Yeah. Horses. Right. And men right here. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, it's a, an unbelievable, it's just an unbelievable amount of successful you cowboys did. and West, great Westerners, great Western way of life people. Uh, you didn't mention John Frey or Jim Hamilton either. You know, I didn't got just, to the artist. Yeah. I didn't even got to the artist. You know, Jim Hamilton, he... He did the big sculpture down on the University of Texas's campus. He did the big sculpture on the Oklahoma State campus. Um, he helped start the the posterior open and art sale yeah. out there. And then John D. Free, you know, how many people made their life and living solely from art that you know personally, Charlie, without any other way of making right. a living and employing other people in the deal right no it's making not. art raising a big family they all work there including dreamer that works for me to this yep. day worked yep. for john for 19 years you know to make yourself a living all your kids a living 
their families to live in all by the art you make? They were all just pouring the art that he was making. The foundry, you know? Mm -hmm. That's just, to me, there's not very many people. There's a lot of artists out there. A lot of people yeah. think they're artists. Starving A lot artists. of people that, that, that are good artists that, you know, very, very few people take the risk in life to do that for their way of life. Mm -hmm. But he was the best at a horse anyway. I mean, mm -hmm. nobody, nobody, I don't think Charlie Russell could do a horse better than John D. Free himself. Yeah. Cody, I'll share this. When you sold G Jim Hamilton's estate, you remember I, I had left you an order to buy a spur ashtray? Oh, yeah. When I go to a show, I, if, I, if it's not for sale, I leave it at home. I'm, I'm not one of these people when I go to a collector's show or a trade show. Well, I just brought it along. No, I don't do that. But you know that, why? Because he'd probably end up selling it while he's gone. But this ashtray came out of Jim Hamilton's auction when Cody had it. And on the back of it, it's got its J.H. brand. And it's a, probably an inside Mark Crockett, very early one, that they made into an ashtray. And I stick my business cards in it. And that is one thing that people look at and say, is that for sale? No, it's not for sale. That's my card holder. Yeah. And I, I deeply cherish that. Uh, I, I, mm -hmm. I rode with his brother up in, at Granola. I've been in their house, and a uh, wonderful house up on the hill here. But it's just a really special thing to me. And so... And I think about that thing every night before I go to bed, just knowing I could have got Charlie to give more money for it <laughs> now that I know how special it is to him, Jimbo. He was a nice guy. I remember him as a kid. Yeah. But no, that's a... You know, just little things like that, you know, it, it's it's just part of our lifestyle, and it ties it, things like that ties together. Yeah, I, you know, underneath all this long hair, the, don't be mistaken, the cowboy way of life is the only way of life for me, Charlie. And, well, and I, I, I want to see it flourish. I want everybody to remember where they came from. I want everybody to remember these great people and the great things they've done. The only way I can even describe how all this came about, you know, is maybe like the field of dreams or something. Because yeah. something in the back That's of my head told me, me I had to do it. Uh, Especially the way that stuff just walks in the door. You know, it's crazy. We didn't hire a bunch of contract. I had to get an electrician to hook oh, some yeah. stuff up. But me and a couple other, I used to call them a couple of hippies, but I'm going to call them a couple other hippies, mm -hmm. a couple other fellow hippies. We did all the work in it. Oh, yeah. I used to Everything. come in here when they were working. They'd <laughs> That's just so be, crazy. Just busy as beavers, you know, back here. And, you know, a lot of it A lot of it is a little crude around the edges, but... Oh, it looks good. It's, uh, it's a lot better than I, you know, could have ever dreamed it could turn out. Right. I mean, right. it doesn't seem real when we walk in here to this day. I mean, I said that a couple times, but it's the truth. Right. It's, uh, but Jim, we can't let people forget about this stuff, Charlie. Jimbo, before we wrap this thing up, is there anything else you want to add or... Oh, just the listeners. <laughs> he's been listening for a while. Yeah. No, I just, just want to thank Cody for what he's doing for Pahuska. He, you know, it's, it wasn't his hometown. I mean, your original hometown, but it is now. And Pahuska loves him. We love him. I consider him a very, very good friend and just really appreciate what he's done for all these cowboys. You know, and Pahuska as a town, you know. And, and I walked in here tonight, Jimbo, considering him a good friend. 
but I've learned so much about his heart and his passion for mm-hmm. for this that uh, you know I'm, I'm so glad we've done this and I hope people listening appreciate it as much as I do and I just thank you for letting me have your chair for one night oh yeah and uh, and I appreciate your heart because everywhere I go I'm involved with people who love the Western way of life. I mean, that's just who we are and what we are. And and you feel sometimes that you're getting pushed, kind of shoved out the door when you look at the world around us. But at the end of the day, we're still cowboys. Mm-hmm. And we still love the Western way of life. And nobody's going to take it away from us. Because that's who we are. And, and I call it a spirit. We have a spirit of the West. That's just just part of us, and yeah, we got to keep it alive. That's for sure, you know. Um, so you I know, if cur- I could, if I could, I'm sorry, Charlie. No, no go ahead, go ahead. But you know, uh, the only thing, all this stuff's fine and dandy we've done around here. But uh, if I was going to give somebody a little bit of piece of advice, you know, it's great to have some fun. I mean, I had more fun than anybody, but. Sometimes you might ought to think about your actions, you know, before you do them or something you're going to say to someone before you say it. You know, uh, <laughs> I never made the smartest decisions, you know, back back in my younger days. But, you know, if you keep that in the back of your mind a little bit, Amen. your life will go a lot easier a little for you in the, in the long run as you get older, you know. I've had a lot of hurdles to overcome just on... I didn't have a bad reputation, but I didn't have a great reputation either one, Charlie. You know. Well, it takes quite a man to sit here and share that advice. Well, and I applaud you for doing it. You know, you got to learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And uh, heck, we're all here to learn a little bit. So. And I appreciate the phone calls once in a while, just to just to check in and kind of encourage one another too. So. Well. Someone's got to call you every now and then, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, it, it's uh, anything else we want to share before we wrap this up here tonight? If in, I, I hope you've listened to every podcast, or this may be the first one. And you may never have been to Pawhuska, but I pray that after we, you listen to this, you'll want to come to Pawhuska. You'll want to see the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum because there's belt buckles, there's saddles, there's trophies, there's pictures. There's displays of Ben Johnson, the one arm bandit at Rawhide of Jay We don't Edgar. have a we don't have a lack of stuff to look at here. There <laughs> is it just goes on on and on and it's first class and first class in the presentation. Cody's got the great retail store over here, the Buck and Flamingo. And and there's not a prettier drive than there is between here and Burbank, Oklahoma. There's not a prettier place in the world, especially in the spring. Any way you come into town, Charlie, you, it, it, you can't you, beat it. And you can go north to the fact when we was at the Ranch Rodeo on Thursday night, I took a friend of mine who had never been in a circle on a tall grass. He was blown away by that tour up through there to see the buffalo, the cattle, the jackrabbits, the deer. And we just had a great evening. Uh, turn up through there so it's a destination point once again you will not be disappointed not only in Pawhuska but in Osage County one thing let's touch on right quick is the movie that's fixing to come out yeah. that was filmed here uh huh 
You got to see that firsthand. Holy moly, it almost seemed like uh, it was just everyday life around here after yeah. a while. They So right across the street here, Charlie, they kept all the wagons and the horses and things like that when all the livestock was just kept right across the street in, the, in that grass patch when, uh, when they were filming in town. They turned all of our historic streets back to dirt streets, and then they put... 1920s telephone poles there and then you know <laughs> it they didn't use any cgi or green screens so they built every set from scratch it's one of the it's going to be a wild deal it's one of the highest budgets in hollywood history right here in in Pahuska, oklahoma it's got the star power behind it leonardo dicaprio is the the headliner and robert de niro is his co-star and jesse plemons which I think they're favoring that guy to win an Oscar pretty soon, it seems like. Yeah. You know, Lily Gladstone, Barry Corbin, Brendan Fraser, and then it's directed by the the great Martin Scorsese. Just his name alone, you know, brings a lot. Heck, I like I like some Martin Scorsese movies. Good film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Casino, Casino, that was a good one. Yeah. I love Casino. Yeah, I did too. And, uh, you know, Charlie, it's going to be hard for him to mess it up. Based on a true story, the Osage Indian murders right here and the birth of the FBI. It's such a fascinating story. 1920s, long story short, and Jimbo, he, he can help me out a little bit with this. The Osage Indians overnight became the richest people in the world. Um, the only way, and it was from their minerals, mm -hmm. oil, you know, just right at the turn of the century when everybody's Still riding a few horses, a lot of cars on the road. It's just, uh, it, you know, still the Wild West. No one knows for sure if, you know, cars are here to stay. Horses are gone, you know, no one knows. So they're categorizing it, I think, as a Western. But anyway, these Osage people, they, they became the richest people in the world overnight. You know, they were driving Rolls Royces and Pierce Arrows around here. And it was all because of the mineral rights. And, you know, they they were smart enough in the early days to, to retain the mineral rights. They knew somehow, you know, all this was going to be worth something. And, you know, it was written into their laws that, you know, they can never, no one else can ever have the mineral rights besides the Osage Nation here. So, you know, with great wealth comes great greed. Always does. So, Basically, what first happened, the whole town, from what I've researched and read, turned into lawyers, doctors, things like that, because they've done decided, these Osage people, they're too dumb. If you got so much blood in you, you're, you're savage. You can't uh, take care of all this money. That's what they're thinking. So if you were an upstanding citizen and you went and petitioned Somehow or form, I mean, it'll all be shown in the movie. Well, they put you in charge of an Osage's money. So there were a lot of greedy things happening. You know, I think, and don't hold me to any of these numbers, but, you know, your average funeral is about $500 back then, and they were charging Osages $5,000. Their car would run out of gas or have a minor problem, and the dealership would tell them, you got to buy a new car, and everybody was in on it. You know, it was a it was a pretty tragic thing. And then 
it progressively got worse. So the book, it tells a story kind of about just one family, but it probably happened to yeah. more than one. Right. I don't know for sure, but uh, they started marrying these Osage women and going ahead and having full families with them, Charlie, and I know you know the story, but they go ahead and have full families with them and, you know, have, I don't know how many kids some of them had with them and they started killing the women they were married to. Or their heirs. And their whole family you know, off. So that th their wife would inherit yeah. the whole enchilada, let's say. And then eventually they had planned to kill the wife too, probably, you know. Yep. I mean, it just a horrible, horrible story. They are trying to get word back to the Washington, D.C., I suppose, what I kept reading. And, uh, you know, anytime someone was going to go and say anything, they'd just simply throw them off the train between here and Oklahoma City seem like, or mm -hmm. here in Washington, D.C., and that was the end of that, and it went on for quite a while. And, uh, you know, they were just a bunch of con men and ruthless gangsters, basically, doing this. When, when do you expect this to be released? Uh, May right. 2023 is yeah. what they're saying now, but they started off saying November this year, mm -hmm. and then went to December, and then it went to January. Now it's in May next year. And uh, yeah, my my two girls made the cut actually, and my goat. Your goat. <laughs> if so, that goat, if that goat makes the final cut when he finally meets, meets his demise, we might have him bronzed and definitely going to have him taxidermied and have him here in the museum because we saved his movie check. We're going to oh, we have a whole display if he oh, makes cool. the cut. Gary, the one-eyed goat. We're still alive now, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's still alive. Okay, you're not going. They said Leo paid him every day. Really. Surprised he wasn't kissing him. Who knows? Well, let him die a natural death. Don't, don't hurry it along. <laughs> I ain't gonna hurry it along. He's he's too busy. He's getting a big head over there. Sometimes we bring him into town, let him see the public. He's he's almost a celebrity around here. So uh, I think for the last three years running, he's won the Fourth of July. The Fourth of July. He's been <laughs> Gary Washington. He's been uh, uh, Gary. Uncle Sam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think he was Abraham Lincoln this year. Yep. <laughs> Well, the, gentlemen, this has been great. I mean, I'm so excited about people listening to it, not because of anything I've done, but just to hear the history and the passion about what we're all about. And I'm excited. Jimbo, anything before we wrap it up here? No, I don't want to make Cody cry. Yeah, so. I'm already crying, baby. It seems yeah. like. I mean, hey. <laughs> I haven't cried since my grandma died. It doesn't seem like till tonight. Oh, but it's one of those deals. We love one you, Cody. Deals. But, uh, Right on, I'm on, finish that story real quick, Charlie, before oh, we get off yeah. here. Okay. So they finally get someone that don't get thrown off the train back to, to Washington, D.C. to tell everybody what's going on here. And uh, I'll be damned the president didn't appoint a fella, Herbert Hoover, what, Hoover, Hoover? Uh, J, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover mm -hmm. to start a special branch of the government called the FBI to f investigate uh, federal crimes because it was federal land still at the time. So, you know, the FBI was essentially born over this whole uh, Osage murder case. Right. So, you know, there's just so much history here, especially on that side even, you know, the cowboys, the Indians. Part of our Indians are cowboys. You know, we got... 
Peebles won the uh, Indian Rodeo World Championships from here. So it's just a, such a melting pot of history around here, Charlie. It's great. It's we've, great. We've affected every facet of American history around here, and just no one realizes it. They're fixing to, though, when yep. this movie comes out. Absolutely. It's going to be huge. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you for allowing me to be part of it. And maybe we'll think another brainstorm and do this again sometime. All right. Well, thanks for coming up, Charlie. We yeah. appreciate it. All right. Thank you, thank, Charlie. Thank you all. Wrap us up, Cody. Tell them we'll see them next week, Charlie. Yeah, we'll be right back next week for another podcast <laughs> on the Cowboys of the Osage, sponsored by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum. One is released every Thursday. You can find it. They'll be posted on YouTube, and you can also find them on the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum Facebook page, and they're great, and they're very interesting. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. Old stories like long-lost friends Rodeos and late-night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage